Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org. Good morning. Peace be with you. Um, it was the battle of single parenting this morning. I'm also a single parent today. My wife's out of town. And so we kind of battle, we kind of like, hey, uh, I'm, you know, who's got the worst load this week? And he was single parent starting Thursday. I was yesterday afternoon. So I took the, I took the sermon this week. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Um, I am buying my wife a present when she gets home. That's, that's God bless her every week. <laughs> if you have your Bible, we're going to be continuing in our, ser- um, in our series in Joshua. And we're going to, it's a familiar text today. Um, Joshua chapter six. It's Jericho. You guys, I mean, even everybody has a relationship with this particular story in the Bible. It's one of the most famous ones in the Bible. There's wrestling moves named after it for those who are fans. Um, You're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, That's good. That's probably a good thing. Um, So we're going to be in chapter six. And the first part of, I just want to give us some context before we read. Uh, The first part of, of chapter six is instructions for how they're gonna take Jericho, for how Israel will take it. God gives it to Joshua. The second part is Joshua tells Israel, and he gives it a little special like command. He's like, you're not gonna say anything for six days. You're gonna be silent the whole time. And then where we're gonna pick up in 12 is where they actually go through with the plan, okay? It's a strange plan, as you're gonna see here in the text. Uh, So Joshua 6, starting in verse 12, hear the word of the Lord. Then Joshua rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord walked on and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them and the rear guard was walking after the dark or after the ark of the Lord while the trumpets blew continually. In the second day, they marched around the city once and returned into the camps. So they did for six days. On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at the seventh time, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab, remember her? The prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you Keep yourselves from things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of them and bring trouble upon it. But all the silver and gold and every vessel of bronze and iron are holy to the Lord. They shall go into the treasury of the Lord. So the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. As soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women, young and old, oxen, sheep, and donkeys 
with the edge of the sword. This is the word of the Lord. I have uh, recently gotten into fishing. Uh, it's kind of been um, something I did as a kid when I was younger. I did this with my family. And I took a trip with a friend of mine earlier this year and it kind of like awoken like the love of fishing. And so like, I actually bought a boat. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know anything about boats. I'm learning a lot about boats. Um, but like I, fishing is one of the really interesting because I've spent a lot of time uh, since I've kind of fallen in love with it again, I've, I've been doing a lot of research on different techniques, different lines, different baits, all this stuff, right? And as you're, I've, I've read articles, I've watched tons of videos. And what's really interesting in all the articles and the videos, you see like pictures of these monster fish or like tons of fish that these anglers have, have caught. And it's, it's awesome. It like, and then on the videos, you, you see them like setting the hook, catching the fish. And it's like, you're pumped up, you're excited. And like, it makes you wanna get out there and go fish. And you're like, oh, I can't wait to hook one. And then you realize that that's only a snapshot of fishing. If you've gone fishing before, if you've ever been. Actually, fishing is very, very, it's the, it's very boring actually <laughs> in a lot of ways. And sometimes that's good. There's a ton of silence. There's a ton of waiting. There's dealing with frustrating issues like with your tackle and your line. You go out for, I've had this happen myself. Go out for hours and you catch nothing. And you're like, oh, so frustrating. Um, a lot of, you try, you may go to the same spot you fish the day before and use the same exact lures and they're not working that day. And you've done all the research. You've checked the water temperature, depth. You've seen like what part of the season it is. My anglers know what I'm talking about here, right? You know it. And you've done all the, not a, not a single bite. I, I think it's like, yes, fishing is like, it's amazing because you catch a fish and it, you get like, it's awesome. It's like a rush and it's amazing. And you get so pumped up, but actually fishing is mostly uneventful. It's like not much going on. And I say that because actually, if you read the full text of Jericho and the events that happened there, that's what the focus is on. It's mostly uneventful. It's amazing, but there's not much going on. If you read it, how it's written. Like if, let's take a step back. We all have like, like I said earlier, a relationship to this text. We have a relationship to Jericho. Like we, we sang the songs in Sunday school. If you grew up in church, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho. And you're like, where's the battle? There's no battle there. It's, it's, it's like, it's fake news. Like, it's like, there's no battle here. And actually, when you look at it in verses 16, 17, and 20 that we just read, and at the seventh time, the, when the priests had blown the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. That's one reference to shouting. And then in verse 20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, there was a great shout and the wall fell flat. That's it. That's all we get. It's three sentences. Only one and a half of the sentences are aimed at the walls coming down. 
And that gets all of our focus. I think that's fascinating. Theologian Dale Ralph Davis says it like this. He says, no doubt if someone were making a movie of Joshua 6, he would shoot extensive scenes of the actual assault in the city, combat scenes of the actual assault of the city and combat scenes within and so on. But our writer has no such celluloid interest, nor does he care to show the bravado of Israelite warriors. He gives only a brief mention and almost after, or almost matter of fact report of the triumph itself in verses 20 and 21. One and a half verses. This should clue us in that the concern lies elsewhere. I think it's, that's fascinating. It's amazing what happens at Jericho. But if you look at the text, I didn't even read all of it because it would have taken five minutes and it's boring. I'm serious, read it yourself. The attention is not on the conquest at all because there's no battle at the battle of Jericho. Read it, there's none. The formations are given in verses one through 14. It says, hey, three times these formations are given. There's going to be an Ark of the Covenant and in front of it, seven priests blowing horns and there's gonna be soldiers in front of it and soldiers behind the Ark. And they're gonna walk around the city for six days. But on the seventh day is special. They're gonna walk around seven times. Oh, so much walking. Seven times, incomplete silence. And they carry their weapons the whole time. And I say all this to you because I think that Jericho is written this way for a specific reason. If you follow the language, the repetition, the numbers, I think something really sacred and holy is happening here. Think like the, like the language is, it's the most, one of the most extensive writings of the conquest of Canaan. There are key phrases that follow other sacred events and other holy events in Israel's history. The six days, right? And then on the seventh day, for my theologians here, it's sparking up some, some biblical stories that you might know. Think creation, think the plagues of Egypt, three sets of three plagues, and then one special plague that you're gonna remember forever, right? I think something holy is happening here. I think Jericho has an event was intended to be one of those events in the history of Israel to define them. You're going into the land. It's this is like, don't forget it. This is gonna define you. And it's not a battle plan. Actually, it's a liturgy. It's, a, it's an order of worship. It even ends in offerings, just like ours does, man. It's a liturgy, it's an, it's an order of worship. And I think it's, it's intended to be remembered forever for these people. Don't forget Jericho, don't forget it, what happened here. And I th- actually think the best explanation for why it's there was given in a familiar book to parents here, Jesus Storybook Bible. Sally Lloyd-Jones Jones says it like this. What would they do? No one knew, but God knew. And God told Joshua what to do. But Joshua must have looked surprised because it was a very odd battle plan indeed, as we'll soon find out. So Joshua gathered the army together. They had their swords and spears and shields. They were ready to fight, but the plan wasn't about fighting. It was about trusting and doing what God said. And then later on at the end of the story says, so it was that God's people entered their new home and they didn't 
have to fight to get in. They only had to walk. I think Israel needed to remember Jericho as they entered their new land. Remember how you got here. Remember, this is gonna define you. And if you trust and obey my words, you're gonna enter. You're gonna be safe here. You're gonna dwell forever with me. And our calling is to trust and obey God today at his word. And that will never change. It's always true. It will never change. But I think if we take a step back and look at Jericho at a deeper level, I think it actually exposes the reality of discipleship. I think, it's, I think Jericho is a paradigm for the Christian life. If you wanna be one of God's people, this is what it's like. And honestly, it's kind of sobering. And in my opinion, kind of a letdown, if I'm honest. Verses 10 through 14 in Joshua 6 say this, do not shout, don't even talk. Joshua commanded, not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout, then shout. So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once that day, and then everyone returned to spend the night at the camp. Joshua got up early the next morning and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horns marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing the horns again. The armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing the horns. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to the camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Actually, I think Jer- that's, that's the, like the order. I think Jericho reminds us that a life of trust and obedience is characterized by walking, by waiting and resting. The very things that the Israelites are commanded to do. That's the rhythm. Yes, they're going to have this mountaintop experience and see an amazing thing happen. They're gonna see city walls coming down because of shouting. They're gonna get victory in a battle without fighting. Israel was freed from Egypt by plagues, cross seas and rivers that were parted as they walked on dry ground. They saw God's presence on the top of a mountain. But how did they get there in all of those situations? We cannot forget that. We cannot forget that most of Israel's journey is wilderness, exile, and periods of complete silence from God. That's it. It's all over the Old Testament. They saw walls come down in Jericho, but it took six days of walking in complete silence. It was walking, it was waiting, and it was resting. And could you imagine being one of the warriors? Like, put yourself in the, like, let's, let's speculate a little bit. Put yourself in the shoes of, of the warriors, the going into battle. You, you get all, your, all ready for war, you've got your weapon, and you're walking, and you get back to the camp sitting around the fire that night. What's your conversation? Um, Do you know what's happening? Nope. This is a terrible battle plan. We're gonna get whacked here. It's it's over for us. We're done. You you are gonna watch football today. It's a high holy day, right? Bengals, who day, right? You're gonna watch a game today and imagine like the offensive line, which they have in the past, just stands there and does nothing. You're gonna be like, you're like, yeah, I'm familiar. 
you're like, this is a terrible plan. Why, why am I carrying this stupid weapon? Maybe God had a sense of humor and like was reminding them that they didn't, every time they look at it, they didn't have to use it. I don't know. Like, just put yourself in that shoe. I, I actually think that the paradigm of discipleship of walk, wait, and rest is very simple, but it's not easy. It's not easy. Trusting and obeying God, it seems really straightforward, but honestly, it's hard. It's not exciting at times. It's not that fun even at many times, most times. On this side of eternity before the resurrection, it's actually kind of a downer. And if you're new to the faith, or if you're like honest, like you're on fire right now and God is working in you, I'm not trying to downplay that. Like lean into that. Like if you're like saying, oh, I see the gospel, I see Christ and he's beautiful and it's wonderful and it's amazing. I'm seeing God do all these amazing things in my life and the lives of the people around me. Lean into that. That is important. You need those moments. I have those moments and they encourage me so much when I think back on them. You need them. You need the moments, the mountaintops. But that's not the norm. That's not the norm. That's, that's actually like a very small part of your, of your walk of faith, of discipleship. I'm only saying that a life of following God is actually periods of silence. Like, God, you're not even, I feel like you're not even talking to me. It's showing up, not knowing what the point is. And it's trying your best to learn what God has for you. And if I were to gamble, I would wager that there are people in this room right now that feel that way. And what I mean is, I think there are people here and I've seen them and I, I've heard their stories. I've seen it in my own life where they're genuinely striving to follow the Lord in their daily walk every single day. They're doing the disciplines. They're, they want to pray. They're striving to hear from the Lord. They're desperate and waiting to hear from God and see like him working in, in them or in you. And you're striving to find rest in a world that is restless with all its requirements every single day. And the genuine pursuit has left you bewildered, tired, confused, maybe disillusioned. You're like, this isn't what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought it would be. Maybe some of you, if you're honest, you're just like, I'm bored. This was exciting. I had so much community. I had so many friends. I had so much things to do and it was fun. And now it's like, I'm bored. It's not as exciting as it once was. And, and th maybe this has brought up a lot of doubts in you. Like you're learning things and hearing things and seeing things and you're, you're starting to doubt. Maybe even some of you, this, I've, I've been here before. You wonder if God actually loves you, that he's for you, that he has what's best for you. You keep showing up through all the questions and confusion and, and the doubts, hoping to get clarity. And if that's you, I just wanna encourage you right now. Like, I just, I wanna take a moment and pause and I wanna encourage you, keep going, don't give up. Keep walking, keep waiting, and rest. 
please don't give up. Did you catch, there's, there's a, as I was reading, there's a reference throughout the first part of, of the entire account of Jericho. There's, there's something, one element that's repeated over and over again. Anybody catch it? It's the Ark of the Covenant. It's really important. It's actually mentioned 10 times in the text. I think that's important to get your attention and get my attention. It was in the midst of the people and there were horns constantly blowing around it to get your attention on the ark. Don't lose sight of the ark. The ark's here. Look at the ark. Remember, it's here. And that's what I think the music was doing. Don't forget that the ark's here. What, and the ark had a very specific place in Israel. It was the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. It was the physical representation of God's presence. It was his seat, the mercy seat. And it was dwelling, it was, it, was, it was like a physical sign saying, I'm here. Don't lose sight of me. Follow me, I'm going to win. And if you're a Christian here today, Jericho's for you. It's a reminder that through all of those things, God is present and you're walking and you're waiting and you're resting. He's there through your confusion, through your boredom. He's there. He is there. And it is forming you if you lean into it. It's forming you. It's producing hope. Paul says it's producing a weight of glory. Don't lose heart is what he says. But there's no way to circumvent this process. There's no way to go around it. It wasn't in Jericho. There was no way to speed it up. There was no way God had given them the instruction. This is the path that, that they'll win. Eugene Peterson in his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he says it like this. Hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is, a fatal, it is not a fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned task confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate and panicky manipulations, of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion or fantasy to protect us from our boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is, it is, the, it is imagination put in the harness of faith it is a willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. It is the opposite of making plans that we demand that God put into effect, telling him both how and when to do it. That is not hoping in God, but bullying God. And then he says this prayer, I pray to God, my life a prayer, and wait for what he'll say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning, waiting and watching till morning. Don't give up. God is present in all of that time and he will work it out and you will see it. It just, it takes time. And I, I actually, I would argue that this is why I think the church, the you know, big C church needs Jericho. I think Jericho stands as a reminder that the process is the process. I've seen many people recently in my own life walk away from the faith. Maybe you there's some names and faces that you think of right now. They've left, they're gone. And in recent years, some of these people I know are not only members of churches, some of them are lead, were leading churches. 
they were in ministry full time. And many of them left, I think, because they were trying to produce movements of God in their life to replicate those mountaintop moments of, of passion and previous experiences. I, and they had this version of success in ministry of constant experience, constant increase in numbers and victories. But the problem is, is it wasn't sustainable. And when those things started not happening the way they anticipated, they didn't think God was present or working anymore in their life. Many just weren't excited about ministry anymore because the well of experience had dried up. Or simply they became bored and decided to move on to more exciting things like hobbies and sports and things like that. And don't get me wrong, like I love those things. Hobbies and sports are great. Activities are great. Other clubs are great. That's, that's, not the, that's not the point. They've just moved on to more exciting things because they're bored. And I actually, I think churches have tried to constantly change their methods because of this. Like they're, they're selling a gospel of fun and purpose to keep their faith exciting and going. They're trying to recreate mountaintop moments. That's one of the second highest selling Christian books of all time is Purpose Driven Life. I think that's the reason. And I'm not knocking it. If that book was pivotal in your faith, great. But I'm saying that like people are looking for purpose. They're looking for, for ways of, of reigniting that passion in their life. And I think Jericho stands as a reminder that the route to a faithful life through lasting discipleship is one that is slow and actually mostly mundane. The seven days of journeying around the city of Jericho are great representations of our life. We cannot circumvent the process. We cannot speed up God. But if we faithfully follow him, it shares a hope that we will win. And we're gonna get there. We're gonna get to heaven one day and be safe with him. We're gonna, we're gonna beat death. We're gonna conquer it through Christ. So this, like, what do we do with this? How do we faithfully trust and obey God in our life? I, how do we continue as disciples to the end? I think Jericho gives us a constant reminder for something, and I think it's honesty. I think the way that we're gonna get there is to be honest. It's a, honest about our discipleship and following. And I think honesty is you know, manifest in two ways, two ways that we as a church and as individuals can practice honesty. I think the first is, is that waiting on God is weird and mysterious, but it is integral to our faith. It is essential to your faith. We cannot tell people a gospel that is not honest about that. It is not always gonna be exciting. It is not always gonna be amazing. Sometimes it's gonna be hard. Sometimes there's gonna be lots of silence and sometimes you're not gonna know what to do. Actually, I would argue for my life most of the time. Lamentations 3, 25 and 27 say this, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. We need to be constantly honest that discipleship looks like this. Even though there are mountains and valleys, a, a life of trust and obedience is long, but salvation is gonna come. And that's why Paul in Philippians, he, sa he says it like this. He's like, 
Philippians 1. Hey, I'm, there's a work that started in you and it's gonna come to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. It's gonna happen. Don't give up. I'm confident of it. So the second, the first is waiting on God is, is weird and mysterious, but integral to our faith. The second is we need to be honest about our struggles in our faith. No one has perfect faith. Doubting, questioning, and even boredom are all part of the journey. And I, I just wanna brag on, on the Oaks for a moment, minute. I, I actually like love this about our church and I'm proud of our church because I actually think this is a place to do that. Like to question, to wrestle with honesty. And I thank, the, thank God that we have pastors that, that not only lead that, but promote it. Really interrogate your faith. I find it interesting in Mark 9, 24, that there's a man who is desiring for his child to be healed and is completely honest with Jesus about his faith. He's like, I believe, help my unbelief. That's, and Jesus responds. He doesn't respond to a fake, look at me, I've got it all together. That, he actually condemns the Pharisees for that. But the one who says, I believe, and I have so many areas in my life that I don't, will you help me? I think that's a great place where we can be. It's, it's also, Jesus also had a strange plan of how he was gonna defeat evil in us and in the world. And when he told his disciples that he was gonna die on a cross and be raised, which he did on multiple occasions, his disciples, particularly Peter, were like, nope, don't do it. That ain't how it's gonna go down because it was confusing and weird and scary. That's not how it's supposed to be. Far be it from you is what Peter says. And he was an apostle. And then even after the resurrection, Peter is loved by Jesus so deeply that he reveals wonderful things to him over a simple breakfast. That's amazing. One of the apostles is famously known as Doubting Thomas. I think that's beautiful. The Bible is full of examples of people who were confused and didn't know how to handle the path of discipleship. And Jesus loved them and he loves you. He loves you. He loves you through the times of waiting, through the times of silence. God is not afraid of our honesty. The walking, waiting, and rest are times that we can bring all of those struggles to him. Lastly, I just, I want to, I think it bears like special attention that Jericho, yes, is for the Christian, it's for the church. But if you're not a Christian and you're not a disciple of Christ, I actually would argue that Jericho is also for you. At the end of Jericho 6, the author turns his attention to Rahab. Verse 17 in chapter 6, and the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in the house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. Rahab was saved from destruction because she turned to the Lord. She placed her trust in the Lord and turned to him and she was given mercy. She was saved from destruction. I know this is speculation. So if you're like, 
you know, going to email me, email Pastor Matt. Um, (laughs) I think that, I think it's really interesting that he leads Israel to the, to Jericho and it takes seven days for them to be destroyed. Why he could have done, he didn't even need Israel to do it. Why did he, why did he wait? Why did he wait? I actually think God was, was like waiting for mercy. The Lord doesn't delight that anyone would be destroyed, but that all would come to repentance. I think he's like, I saw Rahab, Rahab. Look at the model of faith in Rahab. Maybe there's more. And he gives an opportunity. He's like, come, trust me, lay down. Your walls may be cracking and they're gonna come down. I am literally waiting for you. Don't you see? I think that in the same way, Jesus is coming again. And the scriptures tell us that he is going to judge the world. And judgment involves some destruction, but also renewal. Both. It is, that's what victory looks like. And I think that Jesus is waiting to return and we eagerly wait as Christians for his return because he's gonna make everything new. But I think he's waiting because it's an opportunity for you to receive the mercy through faith in Christ. And like Rahab, as she was saved from destruction because of her faith, so you can be too. So I invite you to consider the mercy of God today. Jesus was actually judged. He took on the judgment for you and he is inviting you to receive that mercy in which he earned for you on the cross. Now, I wanna, as we turn to communion, I wanna turn our attention back to the ark, the presence of God the whole time and the waiting and the, and the walking and the resting. God's presence was there the whole time. And that's what communion is. Jesus gave it on the night that he died. And what were the words he said? He said, do this in remembrance of me. Remember, remember what was done. Remember that I'm with you to the end of the age. I'm with you. My presence is here. And he promised to give his spirit. And when we gather together to take communion, we are reminded of the price of mercy that we're not destroyed. Christ took on destruction for us by his body being broken, which is represented by the bread and his blood being shed, represented by the cup. And so if you're a Christian today, I I wanna invite you to come to communion, um, confessing all of the things that you're maybe struggling with. And if you're excited right now about what God's doing, confess that you're grateful for it. And if you're not a Christian today, um, we ask that you don't take communion, but that you would take time Um, I would ask you to take time to reflect what a life of faith in Christ, what that would mean for you and how that would change you, how that would change your trajectory in your life. There's a station right here and right here, gluten-free station on this side as well. Thank you so much for coming today. And I hope this is an encouraging message to you, a challenging message to you as it was to me in preparing it this week. Would you pray with me? Father, waiting on you is very hard for me. 
and the weight has taught me so many wonderful things. It has broken down things, broken down walls in my life, areas that I wanted protected. I thank you, Lord, for uh, your constant patience, your constant love, and your constant calling of mercy to me that that you wait. I pray, Lord, that your spirit would work in this room. I pray that people would be reminded of Jericho, of what the walk looks like, what the journey looks like of faith and discipleship. Encourage those who need to be encouraged, convict those who need to be convicted, and change those who need to be resurrected. pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Learn more about our church and support by giving to the Mission of the Oaks at www.theoakscommunitychurch.org.